What would you do if you had to figure out how to photograph something in deep space that nobody knows is really there? This question and more get answered on Teamistry, the new podcast from Atlassian. Hosted by filmmaker Gabriella Cowperthwaite, Teamistry looks past the front page headlines and into the untold stories of teams behind groundbreaking moments. Each episode examines how the extraordinary chemistry of these teams made the impossible possible. Download Teamistry for free wherever you listen to podcasts and learn more at Atlassian.com. This is Internet Marketing. Brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.co.uk. This is Internet Marketing. Now, before we start today, Site Visibility have another piece of shameless self-promotion because they've just released their 2020 PPC automation guide. It's completely free to download and it will help you get started with each of the new automation settings within Google Ads. So this includes smart bidding, uh, responsive ad testing, dynamic search ads and more. The best way to accelerate your PPC growth in 2020 is to start planning today. So download your guide for free at bitly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash P-P-C hyphen automation hyphen guide. And yes, I will say my normal thing of a hyphen is another word for a dash. I don't know why I always say that, because I'm sure most people understand that already. But today, I'm joined by Andy Budd, UX designer, speaker, ClearLeft CEO, Brighton Digital Festival co-founder, and curator of UX London and Leading Design Conference, among other things. Andy, thanks for coming on. Hey, Andy. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Well, thanks for coming. Now, uh, just geographically, where are you on the south coast? Are you in Brighton today? I, I am in Brighton, yeah. I, I am talking to you live from sunny uh, Seven Dials. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, um, yeah, so local resident. Fantastic. So another nice local person. I don't bother asking you what the weather's doing because at the moment it's widespread darkness out there <laughs> and rather chilly, I must say. Anyway, less about the weather. Um, let's start off. Um, tell us a bit about yourself and Clear Left. Yeah, absolutely. So I am one of the co-founders of Clearleft. We're a, a Brighton-based digital agency. We started sort of back in 2005 um, as probably one of the first agencies in the UK that kind of specialised in user experience design. So back then, you know, there were research agencies, there were information architects, but UX design was a relatively new and unheard of sort of import. So we were very friendly with a, a US agency called Adaptive Path who were driving um, the practice of UX forward in America. And we were just really impressed with what they did. So we started up a similar sort of style UX agency in the US. UK. We've been going for 15 years now. And yeah, um, I guess when we started, UX was a brand new thing. Now it's so um, much sort of the just the way that design is done, user-centered design and, uh, and all that kind of stuff, that actually the, the language and the terminology has largely become irrelevant. So these days, we don't even generally mention UX design. We're really sort of focused on design strategy. But um, yeah, 30, 30 designers based in, in Brighton on the, on the South Coast. I guess on, you know, as well as the design stuff, we've always had a, um, a strong interest in conferences. Mm. So we ran a conference for 11 years called Deconstruct from 2005 to 2015, and that was the first real design, digital design conference in the UK. That was hugely successful. And I think actually, um, uh, I think that might have been some of the inspiration for Kevin, uh, for Kelvin uh, doing Brighton SEO. So uh-huh. um 
And, and yeah, and, and that was a really good conference. We sort of let it sort of lie for three or four years. But actually, we're bringing it back as a one-off uh, next September, which I'm really, really excited about. Fantastic. Now, uh, just before we talk, because I, I want to talk today about public speaking and how, how to get into public speaking, as, as you have done. But I just want to mention, because you wrote a book, didn't you, quite a few years ago now. Tell us quickly about that. Yes. Um, back in the day, I was fascinated. Well, I started my journey, actually, as a designer, as a flash designer, like many of us did, and, and maybe now um, fail to admit to or, or regret or what have you, but I was a flash designer. But I increasingly discovered this new thing that people weren't using called CSS. Mm. This was back in the day before there were even any browsers that were capable of, of, of doing CSS. And then along came Internet Explorer for Mac 5.2. That was the first browser that really could allow you to do design in CSS. And so I started writing about it. I started writing blog posts about it. For a while, I had one of the like the highest traffic sort of you know tech blogs in the UK. Mm. I think it was like in the top 50 traffic blogs in the UK. Um, and off the back of that, I, I got the opportunity to write a book. And the book was called CSS Mastery. And it was, you know, at the time there were two CSS books already. And I thought the world clearly doesn't need a third CSS book. This is kind of going crazy. But 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 the publishers twisted my arm and I was like, OK, well, I'll do it anyway. And it was really popular for, for a time. It was like one of the biggest sort of tech books around. I know it seems weird now that, you know, it was a. It was a language kind of style book. But I have a little screenshot for many years ago of it outselling Harry Potter on, on Amazon. Brilliant. Um, that was only for about 48 hours. But still, <laughs> that's my that's my claim to fame. And actually off the back of the book, I got an opportunity to do my first speaking gig, which was at South by Southwest. And oh. I guess that's how how the sort of speaking stuff started was off the back of writing a book. Which is a perfectly segue, actually, into my next question, because I wanted to ask you what your path was into public speaking. So the, how did the book trigger the public speaking then? Well, I guess I guess there's sort of a chicken and an egg thing here. Like quite often, if you have done a lot of public speaking, publishers will come and say, hey, I loved what you were talking about. Do you want to write a book? Alternatively, it goes the other way around, which is kind of like you, you build the confidence in your craft, in your domain. You mm. get a bit of a reputation for a particular subject. And then people will kind of sort of reach out to you and see if you want to speak. I think when it comes to South by Southwest, actually, um, I I just, you know, they have an open um, call for proposals. Mm. A lot of the kind of the bigger tech conferences do. And I'm pretty sure I just sort of wrote to them, you know, with a, with an idea for a talk. And they wrote back saying, yeah, you know, come along. So this was sort of 2005. It was my first ever speaking gig. And it was quite, you know, South by Southwest now is a hugely prestigious conference. It kind of was back then, but it was but it was still quite small. Mm. So I was super excited about speaking. And you know, I paid for my own ticket. I paid for my own flights. Um, sadly, South by Southwest is one of these conferences that still to this day don't cover speakers, flights or accommodation or anything. We might kind of get onto that later on in the conversation. Mm, yeah. But I was standing there in front of what I considered like 2000 of my peers, people who were smarter than me, who were better than me. So it was really, really scary, to be honest. But I went up there. I gave a presentation that was really, really right, widely regarded. Nobody kind of like came off on the side of the stage and tried to unmask me scuba do style. No one kind of, you know, made me, made me feel foolish. 
and it's kind of one of those things that when you when you get up on stage you feel like a real fraud and i still do to this day you feel super nervous and you're like i'm never going to do this again i'm never going to do this again and then you come off stage and you've had a real good time you're like when can i do the next one and so that was my that was my first sort of speaking experience and i think having spoken fortunately at a, a fairly prominent conference then there'll be other people in the audience that have seen you speak from conferences and they invite you and they invite you and then it becomes a bit of a bit of a kind of a you know a, a sort of a, a ball that gathers you know gathers steam i guess mm. so yeah it was it was a, it was a really really good start I love the analogy about Scooby-Doo and masking, and yeah. masking it. It's Mr. Grimes, the caretaker at the abandoned <laughs> theme park. <laughs> Are you meddling kids? Anyway, uh, less of the joking. Um, so how does the public speaking, how does it sort of work? Because we hear this thing, this thing called the, the speaking circuit. What is the speaking mm. circuit you speak of? Um, well, okay. I mean, it's... In terms of how speaking works, basically, there are people called conference organisers that organise conferences and they need to fill their conference with interesting talks. And so they will reach out to speakers and, you know, those speakers will either say, yes, I'll speak at your conference or no. Some of them will pay, some of them won't do. And over time, um, what happens is some speakers really enjoy it. And then they do it again and again and again. Um, some speakers are very good and very consistent and get invited back again and again and again. And then slowly you get a, a group of people who are quite well known for speaking at lots of events. And I guess there are lots of events that happen throughout the year. You know, when I started my Deconstruct conference, there were only maybe we were we were only like two or three conferences, you know, in 2005 in the UK, and then maybe there are 10 the next year, then 20, 14, 60. I think now there are probably well over 100 conferences in the tech industry, probably more in the UK. Mm. So you can imagine there's a huge demand for for people to speak. And I guess there's always a balance for the conference because conferences do want a couple of people who are big names, who are big draws, that maybe have written a best-selling book or maybe, you know, can generate that buzz, much like, you know, programming a summer festival, you know, a, a music festival. You want to have the kind of the big kind of tentpole acts, the, the really great speakers who you know are going to draw crowds in. Yeah. But at the same time, you want to give a platform for newer speakers who, you know, maybe you've discovered as a conference organizer. No one's ever heard of them, but they come along and they go, that person was amazing. And it's possible that that person is even better than the speakers that have been doing it, you know, dozens and dozens of times. And then you want to have a group of people sort of in the middle that are fairly well established. And so you're kind of you're casting you're casting a conference almost like casting a movie. You know, you want to get the right mix of people with the right mix of skills, mm. a couple of headliners some newer people some folks that are kind of solid sort of you know solid deliverers and yeah i guess over time some of these some of these patterns get entrenched and i guess that is a speaker circuit you know you have a few speakers that will speak at five six seven eight nine ten conferences or more a year so you mentioned that the people that organize the conferences will reach out to certain speakers is it worth doing it the other way around so say you're a budding uh, sort of speaker you quite fancy the idea of, of going out to speak but maybe i don't know maybe you haven't spoken or maybe you've only done a couple of local events is it worth reaching out to the organizers of the conference does it work that way it can do yes i mean i think different conferences have a different different philosophies around like how they select their speakers um, i think there's kind of like three sort of broad approaches one approach which is the one that i admit like 
we take most often is like fully curated. So you'll have a curator of the event, which is usually me. And my job is to go and attend a ton of conferences. My job is to watch a bunch of people, you know, that have spoken at conferences videos, mm. read a bunch of interesting medium articles and try and find newer, interesting speakers, kind of almost like talent kind of finding. And so for me, I'm mostly focused on, on what I need to fill the kind of the journey or the story arc that I'm creating. Every now and again, people will will reach out, and you know, it's a, occasionally those people will might fit exactly what I'm looking for. But often that's a little bit of a, a crapshoot. Now that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it, but just reaching out to somebody doesn't necessarily mean that they will immediately think you're amazing and perfect. Mm. In fact, you know. I, I'm trying to craft a, a story that, that goes throughout my my conferences. So there might be some of the best known speakers in the world or some amazing speakers that aren't just the right fit for, for the story that I'm trying to craft. Or or maybe we've, you know, you're you're a specialist in one kind of sector, but we've already got someone speaking about that, so we don't need a second. Yeah. So it's worth asking, but don't feel that you're entitled to to speak. I think the second approach that a lot of conferences organize, which is the opposite approach, which is putting out for a call for papers. So those events, they don't do any or very, very little curation, like active curation. What they do is they say, hey, look, our conference is happening on this date and we want you to submit us a proposal. Mm. And you write a proposal that says who you are, ideally why you should speak. You know, what is it about you that makes you unique? Mm. You know, on the topic you're talking about, like you know, why, why are you the one that's qualified to talk about this rather than anybody else? And in those instances, you know, if you've written a book, that's really great. Or if you've got some other kind of accolade that says you are a an expert in this field, maybe you invented the thing you're talking about, or maybe you work for a big company that's really well known for the thing you talk about. Yeah. Or maybe you just did a high profile project regarding the thing you, you, you talked about. And so that you, you need some kind of justification as like, you know, why, why should it be you th- than anybody else? Um, if you have spoken before, conference organised organizers really like to see evidence of, of of your speaking capabilities because in some regards like your ability to write a really good proposal or a really good talk title doesn't necessarily mean you can deliver a really good talk yeah i've seen plenty of talks that look great on paper but were terrible in in person i've also seen talks that look terrible on paper but were amazing like you know in person and i think a lot of the the quality of a, a conference is around the delivery so conference organizers need to be certain that not only have you got great content but you you can deliver it in a way that's meaningful, that's entertaining, that's engaging, that kind of lands with your audience. And to be completely honest, the best way of doing that is to just practice and practice and practice. Mm. Now, I think a lot of speakers these days, particularly younger speakers, have this kind of idea that they should, you know, their first speaking gig should be at the biggest conference in town. But actually, the reality is for most people, um, what they end up doing is they end up speaking at a small little local meetup in, you know, to 10 people in front of a pub, you know, yeah. the top of a pub. Yeah. And then they speak to a bigger networking thing in someone's office in front of 30 and 40 people. And they might end up doing that for two, three, four years. And then they might graduate to speaking at like a local conference. And then a couple of years later, they might graduate to speaking at a national conference. And maybe a couple of years later still, they might end up speaking at an international conference. Mm. Now, that that's a kind of like a common curve. That doesn't mean that's always the case. I've had speakers speak at our events where it was only their, their first or their second comp- their talk. But that becomes quite a risk for the organisers because if they've not seen you speak before uh, and, and they don't absolutely 100% know that you're going to perform. So 
practice makes perfect. So again, I think it's like a band. You know, you wouldn't like, you know, start a band in your garage, you know, never having kind of performed in public and say, hey, I want to do the Pyramid Stage at Glastonbury. You yeah. do a pub gig, you, you work it, you work up your set list, you get really good, and then slowly you build and you build. So that would be one of my pieces of advice is don't automatically think, just because you're amazing, that everybody in the world will fall over having you headline their conference because it doesn't work like that. And getting a video of you speaking, or if you haven't got a video, get a you know get an interview on a podcast. If you haven't got an interview on podcast, record something yourself. You know, record yourself to your camera giving the presentation. Anything on video gets to tell me whether you're a good communicator, whether you're charming, whether you're funny, whether you can explain things well. Um, and yes, yeah, so I guess you know that, that's that's the sort of the the, the, the third route to. Um, uh, being found is kind of self-promotion is working your way up a kind of a, a ladder being seen by more and more people going from smaller events to bigger events until hopefully somebody in the audience says oh well i've run a conference do you want to come and speak at my thing so it's a networking thing is is really important and building profile you know making sure that if you're if you're talking about a particular niche of seo you are the best known person in that market or the most qualified person to talk about that subject Upwork has the world's largest network of independent professionals. Let me just close this real quick. So if you need a back-end developer, a UI designer, or a project manager for six days or six months, Upwork is how. Hey, I have this room booked at noon? I'm just wrapping up here. Upwork professionals have the flexibility and capability to work from anywhere. Yeah, it's 1201. Okay, it's all yours. Which is nice if you're already low on conference rooms. Plus, they're proven, rated, and reviewed. When you need in-demand talent on demand, Upwork is how. What would you do if you had to figure out how to photograph something in deep space that nobody knows is really there? This question and more get answered on Teamistry, the new podcast from Atlassian. Hosted by filmmaker Gabriella Cowperthwaite, Teamistry looks past the front page headlines and into the untold stories of teams behind groundbreaking moments. Each episode examines how the extraordinary chemistry of these teams made the impossible possible. Download Teamistry for free wherever you listen to podcasts and learn more at Atlassian.com. I'm just interested in pleasant side effects of becoming a proficient speaker and a sort of regular speaker on the circuit. What sort of things could happen if you if you achieve a good sort of um, sort of speaking profile? Well, I think that's a really interesting question. It's also a somewhat contentious one. Mm. From my perspective, I the reason I speak at conferences and events is largely because I've learned pretty much everything I know in my industry through the generosity of others, mm. through people writing free medium posts, writing books, which really make no money at all, and speaking at conferences. So I feel a duty to pay it forward. So I love speaking at conferences because I want to help other people. Yeah, And I think that's probably the right approach to take, partly because it's really difficult to make any proper money speaking. Some people do, but very few do. You probably need to be like a TED level kind of keynote um, to be making any any serious money. Yeah. For most people, if they do get paid, it barely covers the cost of like the time out of the office. You know, it, you know, probably doesn't include the two or weeks or whatever you spent putting the putting the talk together. So I think you do it through you know this this sense of kind of duty and care and wanting to share your knowledge with other people to help other people get better. Now. If you go in with that approach and if it's obvious that that's what you're doing, I think there are ancillary benefits. You know, I think if you are running a business and people see you speaking, they might want to come and work for your business. 
You know, they might go, oh, look, that Andy guy seems like a really nice chap. Next time I see a job ad out at Clearleft, oh, I remember I remember him speaking. He seemed really nice. Mm. I will go and apply for a job. So I think if you are running a team, if you're running, you know, a, a business, that can be a great source of recruitment. I think it can also be, you know, if you're running a consultancy, a, a potential source of leads. Although, again, I think there are some speakers you can tell are only speaking because they want leads. And I think some of that, you know, comes across as sort of somewhat disingenuous. You know, yeah. I much prefer speakers to give genuinely interesting content. And if it so happens that someone in the audience is inspired to get in touch, you know, that's that's really good. I think speaking also gives a level of legitimacy. So even if it doesn't maybe lead to immediate, you know, people throwing contracts at you, it might be that when people are kind of judging your services, um, they might go, oh, well, actually, you know, like here's these four or five agencies. What do you know about these people? And someone says, well, actually, I saw this person speak at a conference. They seem really nice and really knowledgeable. So it can give it can give an air of legitimacy um, to people that might not already, you know, already know you. But I think the, the real, the biggest benefit, well, I think there are two or three big benefits. I think one big benefit is you get to meet so many really amazing people. Yeah. Most of the people I've met through speaking have been smart. I've learned a ton of stuff. I get to go to teleconferences and learn all this stuff for free. Um, so I feel very, um, you know, very appreciative that I've got this opportunity to learn all this stuff and meet some amazing people. Many of these people that I've met at conferences have ended up becoming lifelong friends. Some of them have become like, you know, lifelong collaborators. You also, you know, get to travel the world. I mean, again, that's not the that's not the primary reason for doing it. But I grew up as a working class kid, you know, when I was growing up, I never had the opportunity to leave the UK. You know, I, I holidayed in a caravan in, in Cornwall, and I was really bloody lucky to do that. Yeah. But now I get to travel the world. You know, I, I literally two weeks ago came back from India. I had a wonderful time. I spoke at a really cool conference called Design Up. I met, you know, spoke to 1,500 amazing designers from India who I didn't know anything really about the Indian design scene. So I got to learn about a bit of our industry that I probably should have known better. I got to connect with local loads of local Indian designers, heads of design, product people, speakers. And so I've I've enriched my my network. And you know, I'm sure if I ever find myself in, in Bangalore or Bombay, Mumbai again, I'll have a network of people I can reach out to. It's interesting actually because you mentioned about people that speak just to get the leads. Can you spot these people when they speak? Um, you often can. I mean, there there are there are some companies um, that are constantly pushing their um, pushing their staff forwards, and you can just tell that this is you know that you know the the dead eyes of of, of the speaker that they could just you know, you know this is something they're given twenty thirty times. Yeah. It's just a pitch. It's you know the co- the content isn't very good. It's just a demo of their their product or service, and it kind of makes me sad. And I think mm-hmm. it makes me sad because I think they're doing a disservice to the audience. If you're an audience member, I know SEO Brighton is a little bit different, but a lot of conferences you pay to go. If you paid a hundred or five hundred or a thousand pounds or more, you don't want an infomercial. You don't want someone saying, "Hey, buy my thing." Yeah. And it really, really pisses people off. And so I think it's important as a conference organizer, if you are having a paid conference, to try and make sure that you minimise the number of obvious pitches now that doesn't necessarily mean that you know the person can't talk a little bit about the work they do and and and, you know and and kind of like skirt around that Mm. but if it's so obvious that it's like that's the only reason they're here the weird thing is these things backfire these big companies that do this 
you know, often they'll even pay conferences to have a have a stage slot. And then everyone looks at them going like, you you, you just don't understand us. You don't understand our needs. You don't understand our community. Mm. And rather than people wanting to work with them afterwards, people just end up going, God, that's a terrible brand. I don't want to go anywhere near them. So, yeah, I, I think you can smell insincerity a mile off. Yeah. So then what can we leave our listeners with? Uh, perhaps one or two top tips. I know you've already given us a load of tips, actually, but one or two even topper tips for our audience to take away today well I, I might quickly inundate you with a bunch of really really quick things but um but i think first of all it takes time to craft a really really good talk mm. you know i tend to find that you know um it takes me like an hour to two hours for every minute of content so you know i might if i'm writing a new talk spend two full weeks writing it mm. a lot of early you know people in their speaking career will knock it up in a half a day or a day and it's okay, but it really shows. So spend time writing that talk. Next, make sure you rehearse. You know, rehearse and rehearse and rehearse again. You know, you go and see comedians and you think, wow, these people are so clever, they're off the cuff. And then you see the same comedian like 18 months later and do exactly the same gig. Yes. They yeah. look like they're being really, really inventive and, and clever, but it's because they've practiced it down to the T. They know what works, they know what's funny, they know how to make the the, 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 the topics land. And this is another reason why you should go and, and give you know, talks to local communities because you can sound out your material. You can, you know, tweak it. You can iterate, you know, if, if you find something that people find funny, you can boost it up or, or what have you. Yeah. And so when you get onto the big stage, you look like you're a pro because you've, you've rehearsed. Um, so I think, I think, I think rehearsal is, is really good. And even if it's just like doing it in front of your team, like at clear left, like we'll have speakers that will often like from our team that will just say, look, I just want to practice a new talk. Can I come in and talk to three or four of you? And these are sometimes people that have done hundreds and hundreds of talks, but they still find the value in rehearsal. Mm. Another thing I think is basically respecting your your audience's time. I really hate it when a speaker gets up on stage and makes a joke about how they were like up to one in the morning finishing their slides or whatever. And it's like you might think that funny and maybe that's kind of like breaking some nerves for you. But again, I've paid to come to this conference. You should respect my time and don't think it's cool. You know, don't be the cool kid that says they didn't do their homework. You know, you know, actually show respect by 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 putting care and attention into into your um, into your talks. But the converse of that is I think a lot of conferences don't show care and attention by covering speakers travel, covering their hotels, paying them to speak. So if you have a conference that doesn't pay you to speak, the speakers will try and get value any way they can. And that often means either it will be a blatant sales pitch or yeah they won't have put the effort in to craft a good talk. And so that shows, you know, whereas if you go to conferences where the, the speakers are really looked after, you are you are delivering a service, you're getting paid for that service, and the expectation of quality is high. And so, and, and I think this is also, I think a lot of conferences only pay the keynotes and expect younger designers not to, to, to get paid. Mm. But weirdly, it's often the younger designers than developers and, and uh, people that need help. You know, if you're, if you're the head of design or the head of a company, you can probably take a week off to do stuff. If you're a designer, you've got you know, shit to do and you probably have taken a holiday to come and do this thing. Mm. And so they're the people that probably need a bit of money to help pay childcare fees, to cover their lost holiday time, et cetera, et cetera. So I do think where possible, it's not always possible, where possible, 
uh, conferences should pay their speakers and speakers should ask for payment. And it doesn't need to be kind of like, you know, it doesn't need to make you feel awkward. As a speaker, just say to someone, what's your, what's your, what's your speaker's package? And have an idea about what you might be wanting to charge. You might just think, well, I'll, I'll charge £500 or $500 as a nominal fee just to show, you know, it's not a ton of money, but it shows willing. Mm. You might be a speaker that wants to charge a £1,000, £2,000. You might be a speaker that wants to charge £5,000. Whatever that fee is that you think is fair for your time, tell the, tell the conference organiser that's generally what you accept. And then a negotiation will happen. And then, you know, it might be that because it's a community event and, you know, it's it's a low budget conference and it's not a commercial thing, you might decide, well, on this occasion, I'm not going to charge. I'm going to charge you a very small amount. I'm going to give the money to charity. But I see huge conferences with 60,000 people, you know, attending and the organizers going, oh, we don't have enough money to pay your pay your speaker fee. But you had enough money to, you know, get you know, Beyonce here in a private jet. So, you know, yeah. what the hell's going on? Yeah. I mean, I literally have seen conferences where they've they've spent like hundreds of thousands of pounds on a few head, headliners. And they said, oh, sorry, we can't pay you to speak, even though you've taken two weeks off to, to write the thing. So I think there's a, I think there's a bunch of, a bunch of tips there. I think just a couple of really small things. These are my own personal annoyances, but there are a couple of jokes, which just, and I've used them all myself, but you know, <laughs> Saying to people, oh, I'm the only thing between you and lunch, cocktails, going home. Um, It can work if you're the only person that gives that joke in a conference. But I was at a conference a few weeks ago where three speakers who hadn't obviously seen the previous speaker all gave that same joke. And you're like, (laughs) ah, you know, this is getting a little bit tired. So, you know, if you're going to say something funny, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are doing it just to get over their nerves. But at least kind of be original. Yeah. Well, Andy, thanks so much for coming on. There's a, there's a whole raft of tips and techniques and stories there about people interested in getting into speaking. Um, how can our listeners find out more about you and more about ClearLeft? Um, I'm very vocal on the Twitters. So if you go to Andy Bud on Twitter, um, I'm, I'm always found pontificating there. I have a, I have a much underused and underloved um, blog, uh, andybud.com. Uh, um, obviously clearleft is clearleft.com and then all, you know from those things you can navigate to the leading design conference the deconstruct conference the um, ux london conference and all the other kind of like fun things that i find myself doing in this industry fantastic we'll, we'll make sure they're in the show notes thanks again for coming on andy and thank you dear listeners for listening you can find the show notes in the usual place which is sitevisibility.co.uk slash im podcast if you're enjoying the show please leave us a, 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 a hopefully a nice review that we can see how we're doing um questions and suggestions for future topics can be sent to podcast at sitevisibility.co.uk you can tweet at site visibility remember that we have a site visibility group on linkedin well that's all from me andy and it's all from the other andy thank you very much and thanks for coming on again andy and we'll see you next time on internet marketing is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows and this is one we think you're going to love. How are they going to get paid? Feeling 
emoji shrug about your money situation, but know you need to get it together? Get Money is a personal finance podcast for anyone who is done with confusing and boring AF financial advice. Does that mean friends just text you questions about money all the time? Just for some free advice? All day, every day. What's the most common question you get asked? Does this look infected? Let Get Money podcast help you get your finances together. ACAST is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts.